Hey, it's Matt. You're going to hear large ice cubes in glasses during this episode. And I'm so happy that that was the case because this was another live interview, not on Zoom. And it was such a happy surprise because I had found Talnua through a friend and he found it through literally by accident, just stumbled upon it. And just the, the people there and the product and watching people create something that they love and being in a place where they really like to work, it was a story that I wanted to explore and find out more about. So if you are around on Tuesday, May 4th, 2021, come by Talnua for the kickoff of a month of Star Wars-inspired cocktails. And uh, just support any of your local businesses when you can and when you feel comfortable getting out. With that, enjoy this episode and take care. I don't know I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I didn't really are. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you so much for listening, for your feedback, for your guest suggestions. It means a lot. And with me today is Adam Gamboa. He is the beverage director for Talnua in Arvada, one of my new favorite places. And uh, Adam, welcome. And what are we drinking right now? Thank you. Uh, we are drinking a cocktail that will be released in about two weeks' time. We're putting out putting it out on May 4th for our May the 4th cocktail launch. Uh, that cocktail menu will go for an entire month uh, because one day of celebrating Star Wars is never enough. <laughs> this cocktail is called the Darth Tater. Um, we tend to build cocktail recipes starting with a name. We come up with puns or just silly or stupid names, and then we try to build a concept around that name. Darth Tater came first, had to come up with a cocktail that matched that name. Uh, I found it to be appropriate going as big, bold, and heavy as possible. So this is a sweet potato uh, toasted marshmallow, old-fashioned, with squid ink. Squid ink, naturally, of course, just to add that color and a touch of salinity. Um, but as you can see, it's, it's pretty heavy, pretty rich, but still complements the whiskey without taking over. And it is delicious. I mean, there's no, and I'm, again, I'm a connoisseur. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it is just delicious. It's not overpowering in any, like you said, the squid ink, it's not super salty. And then the, the marshmallow, it's not super sweet. It's just an amazing, delicious cocktail. Thank you. That's... What are, what are some of the other ones? Cause I know you talked about it when I was in probably this is now my fifth time here. Mm. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Um, so what are some of the other ones that are, I want to know that are going to be on the menu and some mm -hmm. of the ones that didn't make the cut? Yep. Uh, <laughs> only one didn't make the cut, and we'll get to that tragic story. Um, the Yoda Soda, I think, will be one of our most popular. Um, it is uh, fresh pineapple juice with uh, cilantro and mint pureed strained. And a healthy dose of our Finn Glass gin goes into that, uh, just topped with soda water. 
Um, I like to think of it as a health food drink. Uh, with gin. With gin, of course. <laughs> uh, additionally, uh, the one thing that I have yet to finish labbing, uh, hopefully I'll have the recipe done, I'm shooting for tomorrow, is the, that's the way the Wookiee crumbles. And it's a house horchata base with uh, cacao-infused Heritage Selection whiskey. Heritage Selection is our lighter, more crisp whiskey. It's uh, a little more along the lines of a blended Irish whiskey, like a Tullamore Dew or Jameson. And just to be clear, we don't make Irish whiskey. Um, we make a single pot still whiskey. I um, want to come back to that. Okay. Yep. Um, and then those are a couple of the, the, the fun ones that we've been working on. The one that was uh, a challenge that is not going to make the menu, unfortunately, was the uh, Pal Poutine Another <laughs> potato concept, I suppose. But uh, I was really, I was trying my best to make something with gravy. And you can buy bulk gravy from KFC. Didn't know that. So I started there, went and picked up bulk gravy, uh, picked up some ingredients to do a couple different types of homemade gravy as well. And what I found was, unfortunately, the Sodium is the only thing that shines through in a gravy cocktail, even in a finite amount. So it was <laughs> undrinkable and disgusting. It takes me back to this really obscure, <clears throat> obscure Cheers episode where they were, I don't know if someone, I don't remember the premise of the episode, but I think they wanted someone to like not enjoy the bar and they were making this cocktail called, I think it was a Screaming Viking. <laughs> and they asked if they wanted the cucumber bruise and they were just making up these awful, like I'll, I'll have to look it up. But as you're talking about that, that took me back to this super obscure memory from when I was like 13, but sorry for the diversion. No, that was a, a great show. And I, I, I barely remember most of what I had seen growing up from cheers, <laughs> but it's all still relevant today. If we were to dig back in any of those episodes. Yeah. But the whole description of the drinks is, is, exactly why i wanted to talk because i've been to some of the speakeasies around denver mm -hmm. and um i don't want to throw shade on anybody but i'll just compliment you like the vibe here is very chill mm -hmm. very relaxed professional with what's going on but fun and friendly i it's not whimsical but it's just like it's cool without being pretentious and it's just an awesome place to hang out and um I guess, where did your love of Star Wars come in first? Because I'm a huge <laughs> Star Wars fan, too. Yeah. So. Um, just like many of the Star Wars nerds, we grew up with it. Uh, grew up with the original trilogy and um, found myself watching that trilogy on repeat. Uh, became obsessed with just about anything space sci-fi related. And as I... Uh, grew into adulthood i embraced that love for star wars and um i think more more so as an adult than i did as a kid um you know we we appreciate nostalgia and i think digging back at, at times like this may the 4th every year um revisiting some of those those fun shows movies those things that we grew up with um it, it's it's warming it's it's fun it's easy it's relevant um 
and it gives bartenders a chance to be creative. You know, most bars I know of have some small celebration of, of May the 4th. And uh, here uh, I found uh, that Patrick has, Patrick owner, head distiller, um, has an equal love for space sci-fi and Star Wars. <laughs> so last year we did a May the 4th menu and it lasted a couple of days. And again, it was really depressing putting all of this love and passion into building an entire, an entire cocktail menu to be released in the middle of the pandemic or the start of the pandemic really. Yeah. And um, didn't have a chance to share that uh, fun, nerdy excitement with anybody else really. So this year we're going a little bit harder with that menu and we're, we're making it last the entire month. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, if you're listening, uh, May 4th, come out and uh, the whole month of May come over here. So I want to say one of the more, um, to, to call it traumatic is way too strong. But when Han Solo got frozen in carbonite <laughs> mm-hmm. and knowing I had to wait three years to find out what happened, mm-hmm. like I left the theater pretty well shaken because <clears throat> Indiana Jones and Han Solo, two of my heroes. Yeah. And to have him frozen and then have to wait, it, it was just, it was a horrible couple of weeks i i can imagine <laughs> um oh and then fast forward three years when yeah. return of the jedi comes out i got grounded so the movie oh, no. i did something i don't remember what it was but i got grounded and i couldn't go see and my my dad was an army officer and he knew like the proper punishment and motivation so i couldn't see it for two weeks jeez <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's painful was was it spoiled by friends? Um, I think I pumped everybody for information. Like, was, you got to tell me what happened. I remember yeah. I had, I think there was like an, a print book or something, like kind of like a, the start of the, not fan fiction, but mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, like the the alternate versions and the, the fill in the blanks type mm-hmm. stuff. So I read everything I could that had a Star Wars logo on it just yeah. to kind of satisfy that, that urge and that curiosity. But, yeah, I. Yeah, if they spoiled it, it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it would have hurt. Um, Not hurt that going to the theater and seeing the movie anyway, regardless of what you knew about what was coming. I think, I think the amount of hype that you probably had built up over three years and two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I think you would have enjoyed it no matter what. Someone laid out every word of the story. Yeah. So this might be a hard question to answer. So how do you create a vibe in a restaurant, a distillery, a bar mm-hmm. that reflects your personality? Because there's there's places in Golden I don't go to because the the staff is is snooty and they have an attitude. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I want to compliment you. Focus on you. But how does one create that in a in a in an establishment? It is 100% a uh, top-down idea. If you've got good owners who care about the community, give a damn about their staff, it will be reflected in that staff. Um, Talnua takes their time with every employee, every person that joins our family here. We make sure that is the right person to bring on to the staff. We don't want... Uh, we don't want employees and coworkers. We want people who 
are happy to invest their life, make this a career. Um, that's what this became for me. You know, honestly, this, this started out as a job, a great opportunity. Um, I was thrilled to be stepping out of the restaurant industry and stepping, uh, back into a bar or distillery, uh, scene, something where, uh, my craft is the focus rather than complementary to the concept overall. Uh, so when I got hired on here, again, they had a few people in mind. I think I just interviewed well and I really wanted the position. But after spending about a good six months, eight months with the company, I realized that this is what I want to do. And this is the only company that I've worked for that uh, made me feel this way. It made me feel like I was part of something that uh, appreciated the hard work I put forth. Um, you're allowed to be an individual here. You're allowed to um, express yourself, whether it be attire, the conversation that you share with people. I've had so many dining uh, or bar experiences where you know that the staff has a very short leash where there is no individualism, there is no freedom of expression. And I wanted to get as far away from that concept as I possibly could. So when you go into a place and you're, you receive amazing customer service and people seem genuine, there's a good chance that that restaurant from the top down is full of good people. They attend to track like-minded individuals and if I didn't fit, if my personality didn't fit here at Talnua, then either I would have moved on or they would have probably asked me to move on at some point. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for explaining that because I've always wondered why it's I, I, it's feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily being welcomed or hooked up or anything like that. You know, it's not discounts yeah. or anything, but just seeing people enjoy where they're at and mm -hmm. i was never able until you described it that way to put it into how that existed and it's mm -hmm. cool to find out yeah i mean that's just a simple generalization of the whole situation but that's what i've i've found in my years in the industry from one bar brewery restaurant distillery to the next awesome so I want to talk about, you mentioned, <clears throat> what was the definition? You don't do which kind of whiskey here? We don't make Irish whiskey. It's okay. Just like scotch, uh, Irish whiskey is a, a regional spirit, has to be produced in Ireland. Um, we specialize in pot still spirits, um, which are uh, just a beautiful creature that I'm, I'm thrilled to see since I have started with this company, uh, they are starting to... Um, become more and more popular in the American whiskey scene. And uh, I think that that's only going to get wilder and crazier as this goes. All right. So here's where class is in session because mm. um, I want to turn it over to Professor Adam because I know Irish whiskey, scotch, and bourbon. Mm -hmm. And that's about where my knowledge stops. Sure. So lay it all out on me. Like you can get as granular as you need because – that's one of the things I love about doing this is learning about all this stuff so yeah. they can be educated about it. Um, bourbon, of course, has to be produced in the U.S. does not have to be produced in Bourbon County. Um, 
something that I, I hear often, uh, just a small, you know, misconception. Uh, scotch has to be produced in Scotland. And of course, you've got various regions throughout Scotland that have their own flavor profile. Um, and then Irish whiskey has to be produced in Ireland. Uh, Irish whiskey, um, man, I think Patrick would probably do the best job of describing this. So hopefully I don't make any mistakes. Uh, Patrick <laughs> is a, a brilliant historian who can tell a story unlike anyone I know. Um, so this style of whiskey came about, uh, single pot still whiskey came about actually as a form of tax evasion when you get down to the bare bones of it. Uh, in the late 1600s, um, when uh, the, the Brits occupied everything, uh, including Ireland, they imposed a hefty tax on malted barley malted barley being only used for the production of ethanol um, and Ireland producing a vast, vast majority of the world's beer and spirits. They took that very personally, that tax. Um, their response to that tax was they started throwing small amounts of unmalted barley into their mash process. And I'll get on unmalted barley in two seconds. Um, as that tax went up, the amount of unmalted barley went up and this beautiful style of whiskey was born. Unmalted barley is not something you see in beer or spirits. Okay. And for many reasons, uh, it is a pain in the butt to work with. It is not uh, cost effective and it is not an efficient malt to work with. Um, you know, the, the malting process does most of the work for brewers uh, allowing for fantastic mash efficiency, a much better extraction of those sugars, uh, fermentable sugars. So um, what it does do, though, what unmalted barley does is it lends a beautiful spice. Think um, more of a holiday spice, not like a rye bitey spice. Uh, it also is very oily, which uh, comes out in the final product as a um, it lends to the viscosity of the spirit, making for a full-bodied, rich, velvety, creamy uh, whiskey before it even touches a barrel. So this style of whiskey uh, had gained world favor and due to um, a number of factors throughout history, it almost died out completely. A couple of world wars, um, some trade issues. Uh, this spirit was almost wiped off the face of the earth while uh, scotch had gained favor in America. Uh, Americans consumed a vast majority of single pot still sp spirits and Irish whiskey at one point. Um, and uh, as scotch gained favor uh, on the American palate, um, Irish whiskey began to die out, unable to send their whiskey overseas, unable to ship it to, to America. Um, unfortunately, there was a, a handful of events that uh, had transpired that led to all of that. But there were two big names um, that uh, revitalized uh, single pot still spirits, Irish whiskey, and they brought it um, back to uh, the, uh, the attention of the public. Um, and uh, yeah, over uh, a few decades, um, we, we now have, I believe there are currently 10 uh, dedicated single pot still distilleries in the world right now. And uh, I believe, I'm not certain, so I, I won't say anything 
more about it, but I believe there might be another single pot still uh, distillery opening up in the U.S. sometime maybe in the next year. So again, this is a spirit that is beginning to gain traction, and uh, the more people who discover this spirit for what it is and for its just beauty and depth, the more I think this will become an American spirit. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> and like I said, I, I kind of know what I like. I know what I don't like. I'm not a scotch or a uh, mezcal fan, mm-hmm. but I love bourbons, whiskeys, and tequilas. You like and that oak or the bite of tequila. Uh, actually, no, I don't. Like one of my favorites is uh, Milagro Reposado, a little bit smoother. Or you know, yep. Clooney's brand is really good. That that vanilla, like oh, yeah. not the super bitey stuff. Yeah, that Casamigos Añejo is the uh, I call it the gateway tequila. Yeah. If you don't like this, then you're probably not going to like any other tequila. I would totally agree. And everything I've ever had here has been just flavorful, and I know that it's uh, a, a liquor, but it's not ever been overpowering it's not Mm -hmm. having to work through it and it's just it's just so good it's just delicious thank you i just love it i wish i could take credit for the um the spirit side uh while i have lent a hand on occasion to patrick um he is the uh the mastermind behind not just the mash bill but the process and the aging and his his palate is absolutely wonderful when it comes to uh blending flavor profiles working barrels together and how long does it take from i don't even want to guess on the terminology because i'm only familiar with brewing beer slightly but Mm -hmm. so from the time that you start working on a batch how long till it hits barrel or bottle um if i'm correct so with with our whiskey, if we're talking about just our single pot still continuum cask whiskey, it is about a 10-day turnaround on fermentation time. Um, and then I'm not sure exactly how long the distillation process runs on our new system. You know, we've only been uh, operating this system for a couple of months and working out some of the bugs. And um, I believe it's a two to three day distillation process. And... At that point, it'll hit the barrel, and barrel goes down for, um, if it's a 53-gallon barrel, you know, you're looking at about three years. I'm sure Patrick starts kind of pulling samples a couple of months before it hits that three-year point, and um, three-year is going to be about the minimum moving forward. Uh, We are releasing a standard three-year line in uh, July and early July, and that is going to become our standard whiskey. That is going to become something that is available on the shelf uh, anytime you visit the distillery. And as we grow older, so will our whiskey. So when that barrel goes down after you know a little less than two weeks, it's down for a few years. That's one of the things that makes it kind of tough if you're um, if you're doing grain to glass, all of your own brewing and distillation before throwing your spirit into a barrel, you don't see those profits for a long time. You know, you're investing right now in the cost of a brand new virgin oak barrel and the grains that go into your mash ton, all of the energy to keep the lights on, payroll, etc. And then you will see that turnaround in about 
three plus years. <laughs> wow. Yep. So it's definitely uh, a long-term investment with every single barrel that we put down. So how does that work then? So you start, you're going to say, I'm going to start a distillery today. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have anything for three years. Is it, is it kind of done in the, in the background until it's ready to go or yes and no, there's a few different things you can do. And I'm, I'm not going to say a bad word about any distillery that chooses to buy outside spirits because there are some fantastic palettes out there that are blending beautiful spirits or receiving their own um, or re receiving new make or MGP, um, which is a, uh, mass produced neutral spirit, um, receiving that from an outside source. And they, I found a lot of people who are just wizards that can take that and turn it into something absolutely beautiful. Um, some distilleries, you can buy outside barrels from other distilleries. You can, um, you can buy in bulk and use that as your product essentially until you have something to sustain you. Additionally, uh, launch with vodka or gin, something that doesn't have that age time. Mm. Yeah, makes makes the world go round, keeps your distillery afloat. Um, if we put 100% of uh, the focus of our cocktail and spirit program on whiskey and we didn't do a gin in-house, we would be in a lot of trouble. There's no way we'd be able to keep up with demand. But that gin certainly softens the blow and, you know, we make gorgeous gin uh, gin centric cocktails especially going into the summer the the menu is swinging the opposite direction all bright citrusy zesty tropical uh, and a lot of young whiskey or uh, um, one of our two gins will make their way into a vast majority of the cocktail menu so i want to come back to your journey but <clears throat> Take me through the the Dublin fog mm. because I love watching these being made mm -hmm. almost as much as I like uh, drinking it. Yeah, and start to finish, I want to hear the whole process because it's fascinating. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Dublin fog is delicious. It's uh, it it was a cocktail that we came up with for St. Patty's Day, uh, for this year's St. Patty's Day, and we took a cocktail that was previously on our menu. Um, Megan, one of the, uh, the, the owners here, Megan and Patrick, husband and wife are the, the two primary owners and Megan occasionally will work the tasting room. Uh, when I started, you know, she was in the tasting room all the time coming up with some, some fun cocktails. And one of the favorites was the Ram Hatton, which is our take on a Manhattan. We can't legally possess outside spirits uh, because we are, a distillery manufacturing our own and we can't legally create vermouth either oh. so we had to come up with uh a replacement profile for vermouth uh so megan used for that one black tea and agave to resemble some of those nuances that you get and then uh angostura certainly helps to bring that balance angostura bitters help to bring balance to that cocktail so when we were working on cocktail concepts for uh, St. Patty's Day, oftentimes we get people in here who ask for something different, something off menu. Sometimes I have enough downtime to get creative and really weird with ingredients here for them for one cocktail only. Uh, other times I'm too busy and I will just do something quick that I know works. Um, the quick thing that I did with uh, the Dublin Fog uh, prior to be it 
it, it being the Dublin fog was I took the the Ram Hatton, boosted the bitter content, added a little bit of black walnut to it, um, smoked the glass and smoked the spirit, um, and then expressed a little bit of an orange peel into it. So there was a much deeper, richer, heavy, heavier flavor profile than our original Manhattan variation had. Um, so when it came time to batch that, we were doing um, oh, uh, two liters at a time of smoking directly into the spirit and infusing that spirit with smoke from our uh, uh, torched barrel staves. So our, our barrel heads and barrel staves put out a beautiful smoke that is reminiscent of toasted marshmallow. <laughs> just heavenly and uh it's mild enough that the uh spirit doesn't become acrid when you use fresh woods like the kind of woods that you would use for smoking meat at home uh, it becomes acrid in that spirit after it has sat for a short time acrid meaning it's it becomes like acidic and bitey and uh, a very unpleasant unbalanced flavor profile Luckily, these barrel heads, this type of oak, and the time it's spent uh, holding our whiskey uh, helped really mellow it out. So it's, again, the spirit itself is smoked, the cocktail as a whole, and then the glass is, is smoked right before uh, we serve it to you. And so it has a beautiful but still subtle uh, smoke profile. It grabs you on the nose, but it's not overwhelming on the palate. And tell me exactly, because... Uh exactly how you do it because i want to make sure that people are clear how you smoke the glass yep um <clears throat> so you want when you if you want a nice smoke profile you're going to have to moisten the inside of the glass with something you can use water if you don't want to taint the cocktail the flavor of cocktail whatsoever um and i mean that tiny amount of dilution from rinsing the inside of a glass is not going to change your cocktail uh we use uh i cut back on a, just a pinch of bitters in the cocktail itself. And then I spritz the glass. Um, I have an atomizer filled with Angostura bitters. So I will spritz the inside of that glass. And then I have a uh, map gas torch. Um, <laughs> this is the best part. <laughs> yep. It is a, a large map gas torch. I find that works a lot better than those little tiny handheld kitchen ones. Um, it's the same one that I use, you know, at home that I would use for soldering um, a large soldering projects if i were soldering copper i would be using something like that um, or uh, doing wood burning or torching so i use it in my garage my shop space and i use it here for cocktails and <laughs> it's aggressive enough to where it burns the hell out of that wood in about a good five seconds and the map gas will burn considerably hotter and more efficiently than propane um so that's why we use that. Also, it doesn't have a flavor profile. While propane, you can still kind of taste that in your cocktail, which is not ideal. So then once that is, is good and torched, once you have like a beautiful coal on top of that barrel stave, um, I guess I should have mentioned that, we are torture, torching our barrel staves. I cut down an entire barrel and um, just torching that beautiful char directly. And that is the flavor profile. So once you torch that, and you've got a nice coal going on the top and it's hot and red. Flip that glass over. It's got that spritz again. That spritz will absorb all of that smoke. Um, if you didn't do the spritz, yes, you will still have a subtle smoke profile in your glass, but um, it might leave you wanting. But let that sit for um, anywhere from 
about 10 to 20 seconds while I'm chilling the cocktail in my stir glass. Once that cocktail is chilled properly uh, diluted, it then gets strained into the smoked glass and just garnished with Luxardo cherry. It's so good. <laughs> it's it's, it's one good of my for you because it's ever. got black tea. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, sweet. So it's yeah. another health drink. It's another like health the, drink. The yes. Yoda soda. That is correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't tell Hank Hill that the propane affects the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can only imagine how much fun I'd have cooking at home with map gas on my grill. Um, I think every steak would just come off a big charred piece of burnt. <laughs> um, yeah. Propane is great for grilling, not ideal for cocktails. So I want to get into your uh, your story, your journey. How did you end up here? I mean, you've got, mm-hmm. it sounds like this amazing creativity palette, um, things like that. So where did that all come from? Um, general curiosity. Uh, I was given a Mr. Beer homebrew kit when I was about 19 years old, too young to be purchasing beer, but now I had a kit to make it at home. (laughs) So, um, I made that first batch of homebrew and it was disgusting. Um, I tried to get creative with it because I didn't want to make the standard pale ale recipe that came with the Mr. Beer kit. I think that's what I made. The one and only time I made homebrew. Yeah. And I wanted to get creative out the gate. I knew what kind of beers I liked. So I started throwing in a bunch of crap for my kitchen and it made for the most undrinkable thing that I have ever produced. Um, <laughs> the, the smell was beyond aggressive and that first batch of beer went down the drain, but it, it sparked something. And I, upon harvesting that disgusting batch of beer and then, <laughs> immediately dumping it down the drain. I, I went out and started purchasing little bits of home brew, um, uh, tools, items, and, um, started my studying then, um, continued that studying, got a job, uh, in a, uh, brewery kitchen and it can be tough getting anywhere back of house, um, uh, production side with a brewing facility. Um, so, uh, I did my 40 in the kitchen every week and, uh, continue to harass the brewers. And as, uh, at the end of every shift or before shift, I would go back and ask, is there anything I could do? Can I mop the floors? Can I mash out the grain or clean the mash tun or the kettle? And they were thrilled to have some dumb kid back there doing all of the crappy work. Um, so I did that and volunteered about 40 hours a week for a couple of months doing that while doing my 40 in the kitchen. And one day they just told me to clock in and that's kind of where that journey began. And I continued to work with them, um, moved on from brewery to brewery, learned as much as I could over the years, um, studied heavily, found myself in Colorado. Um, one thing led to another and I ended up working what was my first cocktail gig um as i developed a a a taste for spirits and an appreciation for spirits um 
my first gig was at a spot I won't name. They're they're not open anymore. I think they've been closed for a few years now. Um, but in the um, uh, uptown area of Denver, and I really did not know much about spirits and knew damn near nothing about cocktails. Everything that I had poured prior to that point, because I had worked at a couple of standard bars pouring cocktails where it's whiskey mixed with soda, whiskey and Coke, whiskey and ginger, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So um, I started with that, this, uh, this company and the, the uh, it was one of those companies that didn't have an ideal top down situation from ownership down. Uh, it was kind of rough. Uh, a lot of employees quitting, being fired, uh, on a weekly basis. And, uh, I worked there for maybe a month before the, uh, bar lead. Uh, I think he had gotten a job elsewhere and I was the only other full-time individual. And he essentially handed off this program, um, you know, just a bizarre array of spirits. Nothing made sense. Um, it was one hell of a crash course, spending a lot of time. Um, thank God for smartphones, I guess. Uh, on my phone, I don't know how to make that, so look it up. Constantly, every day, learning five, six, seven new cocktails, but all of the basics, all of the standards, and uh, a lot of the trashier shots and cocktails, um, which, again, is fine. No judgment. I definitely drank a, a, a good fair share. I just don't think my body wants that amount of sugar anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and working through that, I, uh, I, I learned a lot about the spirits and standard cocktails. Um, fast forward another couple of years, I got in with a, um, a more high-end restaurant on South Broadway, uh, working with some amazing chefs. And uh, there's one guy who is behind the cocktail bar um, who was just generous with his knowledge, um, really willing to, to work with people every step of the way. So they fully understand, um, what the program is, that cocktail program, why and how it works, his development, how he goes about it. And I, uh, that whole time I, I had an obsession with cooking and learning more about how those, uh, ingredients mingle, you know, when, when you're brewing, you get to know those ingredients and there's, you know, a science to it. You know that you should only use X percent of this malt in this style of beer. Um, these hops provide these flavor profiles. So you're building, uh, you're building a flavor profile from the ground up. You know, when you are working with cocktails, you have a much wider array of flavor profiles and certain marks that you have to hit. And the great thing about, working with cocktails is you can, not only do you have a much wider array of ingredients, but in the moment you can change a cocktail. If you make a mistake, it can be fixed. It can be corrected. And those small, subtle corrections might lead you down a path of creating the best cocktail you've ever done by accident. And, uh, it was just a lot of curiosity and working with some brilliant and beautiful minds, both in the kitchen and up front, uh, where I begin to have these discussions about obscure ingredients. Was there for a while on and off for a few years. Um, shoot, I don't even know, total three, four years. And 
while I was working there, I was working another cocktail gig up in Fort Collins, completely different mindsets, completely different styles of cocktails. Um, but just diving deeper into that craft. And then, uh, I, I think I found my, my home in craft cocktails, uh, just a few years ago, I, I got in with another high-end restaurant in Denver and worked with just incredible culinary minds and had access to some of the strangest ingredients, uh, that I had never, ever in my life heard of, uh, rare ingredients that you can't go to the store and buy. You can't find online allocated ingredients, um, working, uh, very close with local farmers, uh, to get fresh herbs, vegetables, fruits, every last little aspect of, of, of those dishes mattered. You know, it mattered that we use this style of apple that mm -hmm. only us and one other restaurant in the state got, and it provided a flavor profile that no other apple could achieve, etc. Um, as I started to apply those, um, those, those mindsets, those concepts that the chefs were using to our cocktail program, I just went off the deep end. Um, I had access to, uh, the full kitchen, all of their tools and toys, uh, water circulators. Uh, so I could do water bath, cook sous vide, um, an incredible set of ovens, uh, just any toy that uh, a kid could ever want to play with when it comes to cooking uh, or cocktail creation, it was made available to me. And um, again, that's kind of where I really started to hone in um, my, my skill set and focus on um, getting as weird, bizarre, and uncomfortable, uh, as complex uh, as I possibly could with cocktails and focusing more on the culinary aspect of a cocktail than the ingredients behind the bar. So I, with your description, <clears throat> I'm able to understand why I like this place so much. And it was a, a small thing you said in that story, getting your, your beer journey going, is you just went back and offered if you could just push a broom mm -hmm. or grab a mop. Yeah. And having you explain the, the top-down part of this place and other organizations where you've worked and the only thing I took away or the, one of the main things I took away from your conversation was passion and education, mm -hmm. humility, and like zero pretension. Yeah. And so it's all just come together like in a lightning flash for me of like why this place is so cool. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's so amazing. Cause I, I've, I've been in the bike industry for years too. And there's, there's great people and then there's the snobs mm -hmm. and then the, the weight weenies and the pretentious people. And yeah. it does nothing but just like reinforce stereotypes and drive people that are curious away from that. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a lot to me about your character about like, look, I'll push a broom. I just want to be part of this. Yeah. And understanding that. Yeah. And that it's so cool for me to understand why a place works and why one doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have to give 99% of that credit to Tal Nua for a giving me a chance in the first place, but also allowing me to get weird because I made them feel uncomfortable on many occasions when I said, this is what I'm going to do for this cocktail concept. I've heard in that first year 
or we'll say we'll say the first six to eight months with the company, um, I heard no about as often as I heard yes, just because I was really, I was pushing pretty hard on mm-hmm. on some really bizarre uh, ingredients, cocktails, liqueur ideas, um, and as things begin to click, um, and this is this is unfortunately you know about the time of COVID. Yeah. Um, that was about that six to eight month mark. Um, they just saw the potential that I had and allowed me to run with it. They were willing to, um, they were willing to potentially pour booze down the drain on bad cocktails. If that's what it took for me to feel comfortable in my position. So yeah, top down working for a good company for good people who believe in, uh, what each person, each party contributes, um, to the business as a whole. That is absolutely crucial. No one or two people can run a business perfectly. It really does take every individual on staff. If you want a unique experience, a good wholesome experience with a staff that gives a damn about you and what they're presenting to you. And it, it's tangible. And it's really an amazing story for me coming from the corporate world where that's where leadership is or mm-hmm. the military or sports, right? And to have it in a, in, a, in a small micro business like this where the leadership and the, the delegation and the faith and the people that are here that care. And I've always thought like if you, a good person finds a good business, then magic is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be clearly defined, but you just connect and it works out. And to see it in a smaller organization in a, in a distillery is just, it's incredibly fascinating and it's really cool to hear. Yeah. I have to agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, thank you. This is awesome. And yeah, thanks course. for the, the tech support help. I was struggling with my mixer and all that. And so thank you for your, your yeah. patience and your advice on that. And no problem at all. Um, I'll post links, obviously, in the, the show notes, but where can people join us on, you know, in the month of May, May 4th, to, and all year round to just support this endeavor? Uh, unfortunately, right now, mostly here in the tasting room. We, Perfect. We, we do have uh, a small distribution. Uh, we are lucky enough here to have a fantastic community that shows love constantly, um, and they uh, they drink up a lot of our supply and as i said (laughs) that investment today we don't see that return for a few years and the last thing patrick would do is put out bad whiskey he would rather run out of it which has happened a couple of times since i started with a company um luckily not for any great length of time but uh, until we get to the point which is still four or five years down the road where we can expand our distribution more than 10 miles you're going to either have to know someone who can drive to the distillery and totally legally ship you a bottle. Um, or you're just going to have to come in and experience it for yourself. Um, you know, Colorado is a beautiful place. So anybody that wants to visit here, there's plenty of reasons, including Talnua, but yeah, you'll have to come in and, and try it. Our, uh, our cocktail menu changes, uh, more frequently here than any other place I've seen. So, um, there's always something new, bizarre, off the wall to try. 
Um, additionally, we do have off uh, menu cocktails. Um, always talk to us about what we have because we always have something secret and nerdy in the works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in house is where you will have the greatest Talno experience. It's it's just fun. It's just a it's a great chill but expert experience without a doubt. Thank you. Awesome. I know, I'm going to be here May 4th. It's already on my calendar. I will. <laughs> uh, I'll be here too. And I'm, I'm hoping it's not too crazy coming out the gate, but um, I'm very much so looking forward to this menu launch. Awesome. Adam Gamboa, Talnua, and thank you, Megan and Patrick too. So mm-hmm. come in and visit, please. Thank you so much. Thank you.